0: start from there i guess yeah i'm not i'm not happy liam tricked me yesterday
1: i played a prank on tom yeah and that prank was healthy exercise (laughs) that is good for my life and body yeah but it turns out what tom didn't know is that the next
0: day you feel really sore and your legs hurt and your arms hurt and i haven't worked out in like over a year. It was time. You know how you know how like when when you're you're just like a free spirit out in the world Yeah, and you're like oh man like I'm having so much fun. I'm eating all this Popeyes I'm getting a little weight, whatever you know what? like I can mm-hmm. I can lose that weight later Like now is later for me mm-hmm. where I'm just kind of like you know what I want to get I want to get my body right for me and my body for me
1: and my God. Yeah, exactly yeah, God you... God wants me thin as a rail. Yep. God likes them thin Uh, you you got your old uh, trunk and you blew off all the dust and you opened it and you got out your workout clothes. Oh yeah. And you blew all the dust off of them. Yeah, I had you to. You got your set of <laughs> kettlebells and you blew all the dust off of them. Lots of compression shorts in there. <laughs> yup, mostly compression shorts. Gotta have, gotta have <laughs> this. An old Warped Tour t-shirt. Gotta have this situation Tight and yeah. supported. A lot of jumping jacks. A lot of jumping it's jacks. It's all floppy. It looks like a helicopter propeller oh on its God. side. And you, uh, you got one of those belts that you, women would wear in the 50s that would like do stuff in gyms. What the fuck were those? Are you talking about the belts?
0: Oh, no, Ross and Carrie did a really good episode about this. Those belts that electrocute you. And it it, like forces your muscles to spasm, which is like technically speaking, like you're using your muscle. It's working
1: out, I guess. Kind of like how when you get electroshock therapy, I imagine that your brain is trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Anyways. Tom did an old-school 1950s workout while I just did push-ups in the corner. Yeah,
0: it was a weird energy in the room, gotta say. It was like
1: a nightmare circus that Ryan Murphy produced. American Horror Story Season 8 gym membership. Holy shit. Yo, I'm Tony. I'm (laughs) Tony and I'm a ghost! Yep, played by... How many
0: reps you do, Tony! (laughs) Tony's saying you're another guy named Tony in this scenario.
1: Yeah, I feel like uh, who would be Tony in American Horror Story? I said Connie Britton, but she's only been the first one.
0: Oh, oh. Cheyenne Jackson. Mm, Shia LaBeouf.
1: Shia LaBeouf would be very Ooh, good, be good in the good Ryan American Murphy? Horror Story. Yeah. Ryan, you there, bud? You can you can just have that. That's for you. That's a free pee. Hey, what is
0: this podcast and what do we do on it? This is Media
1: Majors. This is a storytelling podcast where my wonderful co-hosts and I research stories from our preferred mediums, and we tell them to each other, and then you listen in like a little creepy group. Yep. I'm Liam Senior. I like movies and television. And I'm Tom Lockney, and I like video games
0: and internet culture, and our theme for this week is uh, big failures, I guess. And Liam, I believe you're starting us off. This is true.
1: This is true. Um, so, there's this movie called Dune. I don't know if you've heard of it. No, I don't think I ever Something have. Something about the spice You flowing. know what, I'm really, I'm really Ingrained
0: in nerd culture, but I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk about Dune All right, so this is
1: gonna be a big episode that we're breaking wow new <laughs> ground We're breaking the news here that there was a story called Dune. Yeah, no, so there's a movie called Dune and uh, it's a very famous Dave Lynch movie um, It's fine that's like the summation of I've I've heard is it's perfectly fine. But the reason that it's famous is because there was a guy named Alejandro and that is I've heard name. Jodorowsky. Both of them are probably incorrect because hmm. he was the true person who knew how his name was pronounced. And that secret
0: will be kept to the grave. If you ever pronounce Alejandro Jodorowsky's name correctly, he goes El back to-, to his... El
1: Topo comes into your bathroom and you have to get him back to his house. <laughs> Uh, so he was this guy who made these, like, weird Neo-Zen wrestling movies about existentialism like El Topo and The Holy Mountain, and he was going to make Dune, and it was going to be, like, the most expensive movie ever because he wanted Pink Floyd in the movie, he wanted Mick Jagger in the movie, he wanted designs by H.R. Geiger, he wanted Dan O'Bannon, a VFX wizard on it, and they wanted Salvador Dali and Orson Wells to be in it. Man. There's a documentary about it. Horrocksky's Dune. Uh, it's a it's a, a documentary about a completely hypothetical movie, um, and there was over like you know one thousand two hundred pages of storyboard made. It was all oh drawn. My it was nuts.
0: This sounds like a real spaghetti on the wall. It type would deal. have
1: been an ambitious ambitious project to say the least, because after all, the spice must flow. It's probably like the most famous. I've never seen a red dune in my life. <laughs> Uh, it's, like, one of the most famous could-have-been movies, but there's, like, a lot of great could-have-been movies, and I know I've been in a list mode, but, like, hey, fuck you, list sells. Yeah, this is our podcast, <laughs> yeah.
0: and we'll do what we want on
1: it. So here's, um, basically, like, the disappointments, and these are movies that were to be, but for reasons, were mm. not. Uh, and in no particular order. Stanley Kubrick's Napoleon, a cross Dynamite. Between- <laughs> <laughs> Peter on the, on the atom bomb at the end.
0: God, I don't know why I'm so sexually confused all the time. Oh, man. Uh, I want to have sex with this man in a fur costume. Woo. Uh.
1: Stanley Kubrick's Napoleon. <laughs> just Napoleon. Just it was Napoleon. going to be a cross between like a character study and an epic, like a biblical epic. That's just the type of movies that were made. It wasn't obviously going to be about the Bible. And it was going to be Kubrick's song, swan song. He spent 10 years doing research. Uh, he sent an assistant to retrace Napoleon's steps all over the world. Wow. Because Kubrick was a crazy person. He was an intense dude. Um, he proposed a $5 million budget to the studios. That would be like $100 million now. And it required scenes that would have 30,000 soldier extras. Think Jesus of the, Christ. Think of the craft table. <laughs> um... Audrey Hepburn was then cast as the female lead, and that's when the studio said, hey, no, yeah. we are not literally made out of cash. We can't finance this movie for you. And the picture was dropped. Um, but actually, sorry. So after Audrey, Audrey Hepburn was cast, that was when the producers were like starting to back out. And then a movie called Waterloo was released, and it totally flopped. And then they were like, well, Napoleon movies don't work, so bye, Stanley. Okay. You can still read the 147-page draft of cubic screenplay if you can find out. Justice League Mortal by George Miller. Oh, wow. Holy shit. What? This movie was going to be so good. That sounds really cool. So it was going to have in costume, having already known each other, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Flash, Aquaman, Martian Manhunter, all of them already friends. Good, as it should be. Wonder Woman was going to be the liaison between MetaHumans and the UN. So she was going to be the de facto in-charge person. That's cool. I like they that. They already casted it with... Um, ooh, ooh the... who, who, who. So it's a bunch of people I don't know. Ow. Um, but... You've had Common as the Green Lantern. Oh, that's fucking awesome! Really good, As right? um, John, uh, John Stewart.
0: John Stewart. Yeah.
1: Um, you had Adam Brody as the Flash. I don't know if you know who Adam Brody is, but he's like uh, he was on the OC and he was on Gilmore Girls before. He just okay. has very good timing, which is good because Flash was going to be the like audience focal point. Yeah, and he's a good. Yeah, Flash is always a really good comic relief exactly. character. Exactly. And then Army Hammer was going to be Batman, which.
2: Pretty solid casting. Yeah.
1: And then this, they casted a person of um, Latin descent as Superman. Oh, wow, that would That's have been really awesome. cool. Yeah. Yeah. Because George Miller wanted it to feel like an actual, uh, like cultural me- melting yeah. pot of, of yeah. Justice League. Um, Jay Baruchel was going to be the bad guy. He was going to be someone who hacked into uh, Batman's computer and teams up with Talia al Ghul to basically do Tower of Babel. Oh, nice. But differently, because it will apply to a different group of heroes. Okay. Um, it was only going to be loosely based. And then Teresa Palmer is going to play Talia al Ghul, and she's a famous actress. She would have been really good at it. Um, plus, it was going to be directed by George, George Miller, Miller, who like would have killed this. He's
0: one. He I, is. Question: Is George Miller like one of the best directors of our lifetime? Because
1: like yeah. Mad Max, Mad Max Two, Babe, Babe, Babe Two, Babe Two, Happy Feet, which while not a great movie, is like a crazy directed movie with yeah. its animation live action. And there's like shed. a
0: lot of really smart subtext. Mm-hmm. And then like of course goes without saying, Fury Road, Fury Road is like the best action movie of the last decade, right? Easily, yeah. Um,
1: so, unfortunately, the writers... Best edited,
0: too. Shouts out yeah. to George Miller's wife. Yeah.
1: Connie Miller? I think so. Connie Miller, yeah. Um, if you haven't seen Fury Road... Just fucking go watch anyway. it. It's so good. Um, we got Fury Road out of it, which is good, but unfortunately, because of the writer strike, this movie oh. was put on hold. Oh, man. And, uh, yeah, now we have this justice league movie we're getting capitalism killed what would have been a way better justice league movie and i'm mad about it we're gonna talk about it in the future but like the writer's strike is responsible for a lot of really heinous shit that uh happened this and last year oh boy uh we'll, we'll get into it one day all right gladiator 2 still gladiator oh boy. by riddles McScoots. uh ridley scott was gonna do this one um hey tom Hey, Liam. Who would you get to write the screenplay for the Gladiator sequel? Mm. The guy who wrote... Oh, so you're already thinking differently than how uh, Russell Crowe and Ridley Scott approached it. Oh, a completely
0: new face? Oh, no, no, Somebody no. So you've never written before?
1: They were like, why don't we get
0: singer-songwriter Nick Cave? Oh, my God. Wait, <laughs> what? Why? What was the thinking behind that? Oh,
1: because he was Australian and Russell Crowe was friends with him. Oh, okay. So Nick Cave wrote... A treatment for for Gladiator Two. It was going to be called Gladiator: The Christ Killer, and it was because here's the thing about Gladiator. Spoiler alert: Russell Crowe dies at the end of Gladiator. He does. Yeah. How is he going to be back in the sequel? I
0: assumed that they were going to make a different one and that Russell Crowe was just going to produce. Like nope he was
1: gonna be reincarnated and live all throughout time in all of history's greatest conflicts oh so like the batman thing opening on him being the one chosen to kill jesus oh my god and ending in him in the vietnam war what why did gladiator have any supernatural shit in it i've never seen the movie not really if it did i missed it it's not great but like it would have been a completely different movie so nick cave wrote wrote Nick Cave writes Christ Killer, gives it to Russell Crowe and Ridley Scott, and they're like, "Oh no, we're not okay. gonna do this," and the movie isn't made. But it should have been, because that sounds like an awesome movie. That's hilarious. Yeah. Um. Oh, this one is gonna. This one's gonna make you sad. Oh no. Guillermo del Toro's at oh. the Mountains of Madness. Oh! It was gonna be a huge sci-fi tentpole blockbuster. They were gonna put a ton of money into it. Tom Cruise was in negotiations to star. a big deal yeah but del toro thought that he could make it on 150 million and the studio backed out because they said it would actually cost about 500 million with uh the advertising plan they were gonna do what and the thing is del toro is notorious for having like eight or nine different projects in development at a time which is why every time a movie of his comes out it's kind of a big deal
0: yeah
1: oh Um, man that's such a bummer especially because like I li- listen
0: I really like HP Lovecraft that dude is like racist as hell and We've I about I it. would really love it if we could get like adaptions of his work that fix the gross shitty racist shit and so that way I can enjoy a property more
1: uh, David Cronenberg's Frankenstein
0: I don't know how to
1: feel about well that. here's the thing a producer literally just came up to Cronenberg at a party and went picture this David Cronenberg's Frankenstein <laughs> and Cronenberg was like cool what what's Mary Shelley gonna think about it and then just like <laughs> went back to the party and the producer then like bought ad space in Variety and there was like a fake poster, not fake, it was real, a poster for David Cronenberg's Frankenstein. And then I they asked him about it and he was like, I have no idea what this is. I
0: don't mean to cast dispersions on that producer or the types of decisions that influence movie making, but I'm gonna go ahead and guess that there might
1: have been a little bit of cocaine at that <laughs> I think there just might have been. <laughs> <laughs> Although David Cronenberg would have made a pretty decent Frankenstein movie. Oh, man. His yeah, set, he would have. His take, he wanted, he wanted to focus more on the monster being, like, not a creature of rage, but a creature of sensitivity. Yeah, because well, that's what the point of the book, is that yeah. it wakes up, it comes into being, it's like,
0: what am I? Nothing looks like me. You're my dad, and then you hate me. What? And
1: his name is Adam. Like, there's this whole, like, the play they've written about it is yeah. very, it's it's the point a of The point of Frankenstein is that Frankenstein is, like, a good guy
0: who ends accidentally does like a bad thing and becomes worse for it because his creator is the true villain. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Maybe I'll do a Frankenstein episode where I talk about all the different mo- Frankenstein movies because I think it's like one of the most rebooted IPs Man. because it just like one, it's in public domain because it's old, old as shit. Yeah. Two, it's, it's so, so, so important. important to, it's like <sighs> the first horror book. story, quote unquote, um, n- not really, but like one of yeah, the first yeah. back ones. It, it, we'll do a Frankenstein episode because it's fascinating. Um, okay, so Alfred Hitchcock was going to make a movie called Kaleidoscope. Holy shit, Hitchcock will get his own episode. Trust me. Uh, that dude was a monster. And Kaleidoscope was going to be a black and white, hardcore violent horror movie set in New York about a necrophiliac serial killer. So that would have been fucked up. And the reason it wasn't made is summarized by none other than Steven Soderbergh. Ah! The filmmaker lost his nerve thanks to the studio folks who planted doubt in his head. Hitchcock wanted to come to New York and shoot a black and white movie that had real violence in it. Universal chief Lou Wasserman told him out of it. Just said basically, don't do that, you'll fuck up your brand. He had this really hardcore fucked up movie that he wanted to come and do on the cheap and the people that were part of the cottage industry that he had created all talked him out of it. I just thought, God, how horribly sad that we didn't get to see that. I'm all right that we didn't get to see that. That sounds like a bad movie. I don't know. For a person who's, like, a horrible human being, Hitchcock has made a lot of great movies about horrible people that don't feel super exploitive until you learn the intricate behind-the-scenes stuff that they kept hidden for so long because Hollywood is in a horrible industrial complex.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Woof. This was my favorite one on the list. Jesus of Nazareth by Carl Theodore Dreyer. You probably don't know who Carl Theodore Dreyer is. Definitely don't Don't know
0: who Jesus of Nazareth is either. Some
1: hippie with some weird ideas and a long beard. Another Um, one of those. I think he was an alcoholic, because apparently no one could drink water near him. I don't know how the story (laughs) goes. Liked fish a lot, the band. Uh, So Carl Theodore Dreyer made the silent epic Joan of Arc, uh, one of the most famous movies. And he wanted to do a movie about Jesus with the entire thesis that um, the Jews didn't kill Jesus. Like that was what he wanted to make a movie about the human Jesus who had who was not killed by the Jews. And like they, they couldn't get the funding together for yeah. it. And I just I'm so mad that we don't get like huh. a crazy silent historical Jesus movie. Yeah, that sounds really cool. That would really have cool. shut Mel Gibson the fuck up. Yeah. Uh, the script was 350 pages, so I think the studio oh, was also freaking God. out about that. Yeah. Salvador Dali's giraffes on horseback salad awesome. I Love it. Love it when Salvador pops in uh, so Salvador Dali made like two silent movies that are really weird I've seen one of his animated movies that he made with like Disney That was a re they've remade that one from old stills that they found because they released that having with both Disney and Dali being dead Uh, And you look at the project and you're like, hmm, there's a lot of computer animation in this for two people who weren't alive during computer computer animation. Um, But Salvador Dali really liked the Marx Brothers, who we'll do an episode of one day. That makes a lot of sense. So he wrote a surrealist comedy for them called Giraffes on Horseback Salad. And basically it was going to be them accompanying a woman through a surreal world um, that would involve giraffes, wearing gas masks, and dwarfs being the furniture and uh, 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 a thunderstorm that would happen inside during a dinner party that's fun um it didn't make a ton of sense so the studio was immediately like absolutely Wait, not are you
0: telling me are you telling me right now that salvador dali wanted to work on a really abstract project that doesn't
1: sound like him um harpo marks the uh the sort of like leader of the Marx brothers, kind of. We'll get into them. Uh, he kept trying to get his brothers involved after Dolly's passing, that they could make some version of the movie, but ultimately nothing would come up with it. Okay. And they all died. So no, there you go. That's sad. Well, no, all of old age. Of <laughs> yeah, course, all super old men. Um, Paul Verhoeven's The Crusade. Do you know Paul Verhoeven? Name a few projects. Robocop. Total oh, recall. Oh, Showgirls. Oh, whoa. So he and Arnold Schwarzenegger were gonna team up for an epic movie about the Crusades. That's like The Crusades. That's ridiculous. What? Um, and it was gonna be rad as hell. Cause like it was gonna be a late 80s blockbuster with two of the sloppiest blockbuster makers yeah. in the history of 80s movies. And given
0: like Verhoeven's other works, it's it probably would have been like super critical
1: of, of Christianity like st- yeah exactly well that's why the studio was really hesitant about making it and no. then the lead producer who was basically financing it all himself said nope I'm gonna do a different movie called Cutthroat Island do you know about Cutthroat Island I do not know about Cutthroat, Cutthroat Island. Island is a Gina Davis pirate movie that's up until a certain time the most expensive Hollywood bomb ever made oh boy uh, it also is notorious for going through 20 different actors until Matthew Modine was picked for the lead Oh male my role, God. like they kept having people sign on and then immediately drop out, and it was like everybody in the '90s: Keanu Reeves, Tom Cruise, Leo. They were all tried, and they all said no. It's it's a crazy. It's crazy. Um, and it was also Cutthroat Island is the reason that pirate movies weren't made until Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, speaking of which, the team behind the severely underrated A Knight's Tale were going to make a spiritual sequel called A Pirate's Tale but uh, lost funding once the Pirates of the Caribbean movies took off and people were afraid to try to compete with it. This was before, this was back when like if Disney had an IP, instead of Universal trying to one-up it with their own, they would just try to do something different. It won't be until like the Pixar DreamWorks Wars where they kept remaking Pixar movies (laughs) until studios were okay copying each other um, openly. Steven Spielberg's *Night Skies* uh, was pitched as Straw Dogs meets Aliens—basically a group of extraterrestrials. Oh boy! Horrible way to pitch a movie. Oh my God! Hey,
0: you know that movie that's like most famous for its rape stuff? How about we combine that with *Alien*, a movie
1: famous for aliens, aliens. not 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 like just the concept of aliens. Oh, oh, okay. (laughs) Um, this was supposed- Still not great! To, still not still great. Still not great. But it was basically gonna be, um, extraterrestrials pick on a Kentucky family who then decide to fight back. Especially cause, like, alien rape narratives are a really gross- well, Trope I don't, I don't, I don't, since it was Spielberg, I don't think there was going to be rape. I think he just pitched it with straw dogs because he's, like, bad at thinking in the moment. That's
0: such a terrible idea. This was also hey, the 70s. I'm
1: Steven Spielberg. You might know me
0: as the man who really likes to put kids in his movies. Here's my Not pitch. at this time. Oh, really?
1: No, this was, this was, like, he had made, um, oh, what's the movie with the, there's this great movie he did where it's, like, it's a slasher movie, but it's two truck drivers. It's really good. He had made that, a couple TV movies, Jaws, and Close Encounters. Oh, okay. So basically, he was like, it's a, fan of a like hillbilly family in Kentucky fights off an alien invasion. And they were like, we wanted Close Encounters 2. <laughs> and he was like, but I don't want to do that. Fine, I won't direct it. It's like a horror movie. I'll get my friend Toby Hooper to direct it. And they are like, no. no. We'll let you guys do a weird ghost movie that's overrated. <laughs> <laughs> So they did that, uh, and Spielberg did E.T. instead. Fun fact Spielberg would then try to take a lot of the ideas from Night Skies into the E.T. sequel, and the studio said no again. So yeah. he dropped the entire thing completely. Probably for the best. John Borman's Lord of the Rings. Oh, wow. John Borman. I didn't know that they'd, uh, I didn't know that they'd try to make another Lord of the Rings. And this was in the 70s. So Lotro. This was before. Um, John Borman was this guy who did this nutty movie called Zardoz, which is this, like, floating stone head that talks about how the PDS is mightier than the gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that good stuff. So him and his writing partner wrote a 176 adaptation for The Lord of the Rings. They condensed all the books into one, and they were thinking about the cast. Who do we get to play the leads? Who would you pick, Tom? It's like the late 70s. Um, the Brady Bunch. The Beatles is who they actually wanted. Um, Paul was gonna be Frodo. John Lennon was going to be Gollum, uh, appropriate. Ringo was going to be Sam, and George was going to be Gandalf.
0: This sounds like the worst movie I've ever heard. You know what we should I do? I don't even know. I, I don't, don't even
1: know what, how to respond to that. It was a real thing that might have been made. You know what's a really good idea
0: is when you take a story that's super long, and then you cut out all the crucial parts, and you make it really, really, really fast... Um, and then you cast a bunch of musicians who
1: are not actors and
0: who also are the, bad
1: people. The Beatles had made, like, i have made, like, three or four movies. Really? Yeah, dude. Oh, I don't want to see that. Oh, they were, they were big. Like, they're, the, the yeah. we'll, we'll talk about them one day. <sighs> David Lynch's Ronnie Rocket. In the aftermath of Eraserhead, the story follows a detective seeking a mysterious second dimension aided by his ability to stand on one leg but he's being stalked by the donut men who wield electricity as a rep- as a weapon. Simultaneously, the tale of Ronnie Rocket unfolds a teenage dwarf rock star who needs to be plugged in into a- an electrical supply and gives him power over power, which he can use to produce music or cause destruction. D- David Lynch. David Lynch.
0: I love David. And to be honest with you, if anyone was going to do that and have it
1: work, it would have been David. And the last one... Um, I heard this on a episode of The Flophouse, but I haven't been able to find any, like, hardcore-proof, but I still think it would have been a great movie. Akira Kurosawa's Custard's Last Stand. Before well, we get yeah, to our next that... story. That was all of them. All right. That was all of them. Yep. Those are the ones that I thought were cool Up at least. Note. Yeah. Because cool. there was, like, Kill Bill 3. No, Who Yeah. <laughs> Who gives a shit? All right. Or, like, a, um... Uh, the man who killed Don Quixote, and and it's like Terry Gilliam just got financing to make that for Amazon, so that movie might actually be made. Oh yeah, wow! So those are some of the movies that would not have been and won't be, and never will. Most of the people are dead. Aw, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we get back, we're gonna hear Tom's story. Have you ever
0: watched something for your favorite actor, but then afterwards you realized it wasn't worth your time? Well,
2: our time is worth nothing.
0: I'm Katie, and I'm Lenny, and together we host the Filmographers. Every month, we pick an actor and watch everything they've done. Then we report
1: back to you so you know everything to decide if it's worth your time. So check us out on the Major Cast Network or wherever you find your podcasts. New episodes the first week of every month.
0: What a great ad. And you know, what? I think a good ad deserves a good story. You're so proud so of yourself. That's the worst part of it. Prologue. In the games industry, we like to talk about the lifespan of a console. By lifespan, we don't mean the length of time for which a console will work. We don't mean the length of time for which it is manufactured, and we don't even mean the length of time for which games are being developed for it. The dominant use of lifespan in the games industry vernacular has to do with whether or not a console is the primary marketing focus of a company's gaming division. It is not a term defined by function, existence, or utility, but by capital. So, like, while the Sega Master System could be found on shelves up to 28 years after its initial release date, and some of the original units may even still be functioning, the lifespan of that console ended a long time ago. Chapter 1. Context is everything. So, the year is 2012. And one of the prevailing conversations in gaming surrounds the lifespan of the current console
1: generation, that being the PS3, Xbox 360, and kind of the Wii. The other biggest question was, where is Sonic putting all those rings? Mm. That question for another media major story. Slipping them into his socks. <laughs> They'll never look. <laughs> the industry? Only airport security has the brains <laughs> enough to find Sonic's rings. The
0: industry is realizing that technology is shifting what was once an average five to six year console lifespan. We're six years into the PS3 at this point and seven into the Xbox 360 with no end in sight. While the Wii is about to pass the torch after six years to the Wii U, uh, the objectively inferior technology of the Wii causes people to treat the technological progress of the Wii U as Nintendo more playing catch-up with everybody else rather than, like, it's time for the new generation of Nintendo consoles. Which is a very Nintendo
1: thing to do. Yeah.
0: Uh, oh, Nintendo also botched the reveal and subsequent detailing of the Wii U, leaving many consumers confused as to whether it was even a new console or not, which also contributed to the broader conversation about Nintendo console
1: lives, etc. I'm still confused whether or not it's uh, the Wii or not to this day. <laughs> so with the PS3, And Shigeru Miyamoto refuses to uh, answer my letters, yeah. which, to be fair, I'm just putting dead bugs into envelopes oh, and no. sending two of
0: <laughs> So with the PS3... And Xbox 360 starting to get a little long in the tooth, people start to question the established formula of console development, manufacture, and release. Many are speculating that it'll be years and years before either Sony or Microsoft announce a follow-up to their current console. Additionally, mobile games are a problem, and they've been a problem for a hot minute. The App was released back in 08, and then in 09, Farmville was released on Facebook, and that was that like was the, the biggest
1: click based game what year would angry birds come out because that's when that's when it was basically like over
0: i don't remember when angry birds came out but i think think it was like 2010 i think it was it was around that time yeah so then it's this ridiculously popular phenomenon and lots of developers realized that you could make similar games popular addicting but not super labor intensive creations easy and cheap for mobile and release it on the fancy new app store. So not only are consoles in this weird state of flux, but the entire this entire new market has flooded the games industry, spooking insiders and outsiders alike. And finally, Kickstarter is starting to pick up steam. Oh. It's become a viable alternative funding platform for those with weird ideas, those with a product that maybe wouldn't get funding through the traditional channels. Frog fractions too. Yeah, exactly. This is the result of a combination of things, the new novelty of crowdfunding, the hype garnered from popular successful games Kickstarters, and the relative lack of knowledge that the public has about the way games are funded and made.
1: So yeah, damn, that's a really good way to take advantage of that shit.
0: Yeah. So like, in, like this was the time to have a Kickstarter. Hey, I'm going to make a collectible card game mm-hmm. called Broke- Brokemon. Called Brokemon.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: And you collect, you know, all your bros, Travis <laughs> and Scott and Todd and Derek, and they all come with their
1: own like little accessory cards, like a beer bong and... Or a ten- broken tennis racket. Exactly. Because they use it as air guitar too much. Can we make this? I want to do broken And a Steve Aoki
0: music collection.
1: Oh, wow. How do you collect Steve Aoki music? Is it just like a shitty USB drive? It's a cursed USB drive. You, you have to... You have
0: to... First, you have to capture Steve Aoki and then hold him hostage from his record label. Oh, and they then have you to get
1: touch him. Oh, yeah, gross. So greasy. <laughs> Why is he so sweaty so all the time?
0: greasy all the time. But yeah, like like that like that pitch that I just described is complete bullshit, and it probably would have gotten funded because like everybody was like, "Whoa, Kickstarter! It's amazing! It's new!" and they and they want to be a part of the these process. weird projects. Exactly. So we had lingering console lifespans, a flourishing new mobile market, and this hot. Sexy crowdfunding platform all going on at the same time. It's it's this weird moment for the games industry and You know the industry is therefore vulnerable to something fresh something new chapter two
2: love video games, but more and more people are moving away from the television. There's a lot of focus today on the mobile and web platform. It's easier to develop games for those platforms. than The television costs a lot of money. You have to work with established players in the space. And I've been trying to figure out, how do we get them back to it? OUYA is a new game console for the television that's built on Android open source technology. It's an inexpensive game console for gamers. All the games are free to try. Anybody that wants to develop a game for a television, we allow them the ability to do this. I've been a part of the game industry for a really long time. In the early days of gaming, you could take your Apple IIe, write your own programming, and and take your game to market.
1: The console business as it is today is completely closed to the independent developer. The process overhead for console development is really just too much for us.
2: There's a lot of hurdles for developers to get games on the television. Developing is extremely expensive. I love the television and I want those games on the television. We wanted to make a great product. I went out to find the best people that can do it, and that's Eve Behar and the Fuse Project.
1: Over the years, we've worked on a lot of projects that take a certain technology and make it available to, to many. I mean, the $100 laptop is one, and the Jambox, for example. We like to use all the different parts of design, you know, fuse them together, whether it's industrial design or user experience.
2: The most important part of this to us is the controller.
1: We really focus a lot on what gamers are looking for. Precise controls, tactility, right sizing. What makes Ouya different and gives it the potential of changing the gaming environment is you're able to build things right from the start. You don't have to pay outrageous amounts of money for a dev kit. You don't have to have a lot of credentials. Just good ideas. The more we have something like this open console, that can, can break that, it's gonna open it up for a new business segment for the independent developers. Since
0: it's Android-based, we have a, a great 3D port of Cannibal that's on the Android already. That would be really fun to see up on the TV.
2: We have a prototype, and it works. We'll have all the game genres you love. Shooters, platformers, sports, and RPGs. We'll have games for major game publishers, and indies too. We'll have a full store of games, all free to play. Minecraft is gonna be on, it. and Twitch TV, so you can watch StarCraft and League of Legends.
1: This is the perfect hybrid to have something that's inexpensive, it's open, and it comes with a fantastic controller. It's
2: open for hackers that want to tweak the box and make it their own. This is a big undertaking. Effectively, we're trying to disrupt an established industry. It takes a lot of guts and courage. Well, I wasn't a female, i say big balls. <laughs> we any friends All right, and family. thanks, Tom, I quit the money. podcast forever. Haley Charter is a phenomenal place where early ideas can get supported by those people that are going to want to use it. And this product will not happen without their support. And when we raise this money, it means that we have arrived, that there is a need for an open game console, and that there is support from gamers and developers alike. You're the signal to the world that this is wanted.
1: All right, well, so, Tom, seeing as I own you know, I have a OUYA for my home, I have a travel OUYA for when I go on vacation, and then I have the beach house OUYA. I'm assuming that this went off without a hitch. Okay. Oh wait, I know no one with an OUYA. I have a bad feeling about this.
0: So what everybody just heard was the Kickstarter video for the OUYA. OUYA! Yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, you, you you heard what they said, but it's basically this open source platform running on Android. That w- was was meant to. I mean, you heard them say it. Disrupt the market.
1: <laughs> that's cap-, cap That's venture capitalism talk right there. Um, I'd take none kindly to that.
0: And by the way, to answer your question, the reason that they encouraged hacking was basically so, like, they wanted to add to their install base and prove that this was a a console not just for casual players, but also for hardcore gamers who wanted to, you know, put on an emulator. They wanted to, like, have people emulating old games on it so they would have a larger install base. Because it sounded like they
1: were like, and hey, hackers, you can hack into people's Ouyas and make them do crimes.
0: In July of 2012, the Uya is announced Ooh, yeah. via Kickstarter. Its $950,000 goal is met within eight hours.
1: Ooh, and, yeah.
0: and by the time funding closes on August 9th, they are at $8,596,474, with a total of 63,416 backers. It is the eighth most successful Kickstarter to date. An un believable amount of hype is brought up around this thing. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. (laughs) People are wondering if this will open the door to other companies trying to try their hand at console manufacturing. It also raises questions about the future of the indie market. Will consumers engage enough with developers on the product to expand and change the indie games market? They exaggerated a little bit in that Kickstarter video. Uh, Obviously, indie dev is open on the major consoles, but it's not like... A great ecosystem. Indie dev, even today, is like a really really hard industry to be successful in. And you know, you'd get like the Xbox Live, Summer of Arcade, the indie stuff that they put on there. But indie games, especially even back in 2012, really didn't have the steam that they had today on console. And even today, they don't have like a whole ton. The steam. The steam. Had. Ah. Okay. People were ready for the ooh
1: Ooh yeah. To
0: change everything. Chapter three. Everything food. I have I have I have three different names for this. Uh, uh, okay. Chapter. Ooh na wah
1: wah wah. And I think you should stick to the down with the sickness. The Uya
0: is released on June 25th, 2013 for $99. And it is a disaster. <laughs> here's the here's the ad that they went with.
1: Oh no. <laughs> 60 bucks? Ugh, this game sucks. They screwed me! It's exactly the same game! Oh, God. <laughs> what <was> the fuck? <laughs> Fifty bucks! <laughs> oh. They did it to me again! I could've bought
0: Ooh, yeah!
1: That's a terrible ad. It's a horrifying it's ad. It's a really, really aggressively upsetting ad. Uh,
0: just to, just to like, describe what happened. I'm sure everybody heard sure, lots here's of the what happened. noises. The but... animator
1: <laughs> from Super Jail uh, diarrhea for 15 minutes. Yeah. Seconds. And this is what we got. Yeah, and, and then the ouya. A
0: dude is sitting and he's mad about Call of Duty because call, call of Duty. And then he just <sighs> barfs
1: for 72 hours. And
0: then yanks out his spine using his tongue, which doesn't make sense. Not how bodies work. Two things are not connected. And then beats himself to to death death with his own spine and it's really weird and i don't like it so turns out mobile games don't look super great stretched out on your tv what the controllers were also pretty wonky face buttons would stick and there was often a massive input lag or or it would the the controller would just like not connect sometimes that's fun uh additionally all those indie titles they promised Eh, not a whole ton what was there was available on other better platforms I actually got to play the OUYA. Oh, yeah? OUYA. Jody, friend of the show, was a Kickstarter backer. Personal friend. He's Personal not, friend. not
1: put on the show.
0: And we played it a little in in college. Mm-hmm. And it was not very fun to play. Uh, we, we would play one game, Towerfall, which was also available in a better expanded version on the PS4. There you go. On the PS4. After about a month, we stopped playing the OUYA. 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 OUYA and I'm pretty sure it hasn't been used since. Early reviews of the OUYA, OUYA. OUYA are pretty vicious and almost certainly contributed to lackluster launch sales. And soon it becomes apparent that the OUYA, OUYA? is flailing. OUYA. They release a second, improved iteration to similarly low sales. The Tuya. They didn't name it that, but they should've. Stop. Idiots. In January of 2015, they take a $10 million investment from Alibaba, a Chinese e-commerce company, to, I guess, try and help out with finances. Weird name. Just three months later, it is revealed that the Ouya... Ouya? ...is attempting to sell itself due to failing to renegotiate its debt. It is acquired by Razer Incorporated, (laughs) who discontinues the Ouya hardware and turns the software into a mere subsection of the Android operating system.
1: Good Lord.
0: The Ouya... So, So basically... You can still access the Ouya marketplace or whatever, but for games that require like a controller, you can't. You can't play them. You, you can't play them because they don't make the Ouya anymore, and you can't OUYA. play with a controller using your Android phone. That's not how it works. Uh, so they they they, it, it, compl- they, they it, the Ouya is functionally dead. <laughs> it's dead. And the Ouya died as the PS4 and Xbox One sold gangbusters. It's console lifespan. Another blip on the map of failed games consoles. How long was the lifespan? Like a month? It was like, I mean, it released in 2013. And when was it? In 2015. But I would say even before that, people weren't buying it. People weren't playing it. I ain't buying it. I think maybe within six months, the Ouya was a non-played platform. And that is my story for this week.
1: Ouya. Spelled O-U-Y-A. Yep. All vowels. (laughs) All right. Sometimes on this podcast that we do, we talk about real bummer shit like Nazis or swatting, but not today. Not
0: today. Not today. Today was a more interesting episode, but we always like to end it with something nice that happened in our lives and in our weeks in a segment that we call Self-Care Corner. I'm going first this week. We got a Keurig machine in our apartment, (laughs) and it's changed my fucking whole entire steez. Yeah, Yeah, I wake up in the morning and can actually wake up in the morning, because now I have coffee, and it gives me energy to do important things, like manage my checkbook and file paperwork.
1: I've never seen you do either of those things. What paperwork? Are you... First of all, we don't have any filing cabinets in this apartment. That's what you think. That is what I think. Is it not the truth? I'll never tell. <gasps> is that your? Is that the whole self-care? That's the, the whole Keurig?
0: self-care. Like I got a curing and I got caffeine in my body. Fun
1: fact, right now, hopped up on caffeine. Um, my self-care corner, I had a birthday weekend. Pretty great time. Uh, Tom and I saw a show that was fun. Oh, yeah, we... Shit Arcade. Yeah, you, you should talk about seeing Zoe Quinn. Yeah, Zoe one.
0: Quinn was there, and she was super funny. Mm-hmm.
1: I think she does stand-up. Like, I think she does comedy. F- for funsies. She's, she's really funny, funny on Twitter. But on Saturday, we went to this place called Neon Arcade, and it was the best. I love old car- arcade games, and I love pinball machines. And this place was basically, you give them $10, and everything is free to play for an hour. It was it's dope as hell. Magical. And we're gonna go back soon when it's not reeking of children oh boy so never well no i mean we go during the day we're both unemployed (laughs) (laughs) that's true we just go when it's empty and play house of dead 2 from start to finish like my my dad used to do anyways hey if you're listening to this on the day it came out there's a new episode of the filmographers our monthly podcast why don't you go check that out it's about kyle mclaughlin Yep, everyone loves Kyle MacLachlan. Hosts Lenny and Katie go through an a, entire actor's filmography, the whole dang thing, which is why it's
0: a monthly. The whole gumbo. Yep. The whole jambalaya. And this week, in this month, they
1: did MacLachlan, Kyle MacLachlan, Dale Cooper from Twin Peaks himself. Yep. Um, expect a lot of Twin Peaks talk, and a little talk about how uh, Kyle MacLachlan and Charlotte from Sex and the City really like to rim each other. <laughs>
0: It's a good episode. (laughs) Yeah, it's a it's a new show on the network, and we're very proud to have
1: it. Um. Also, Tom and I guested on a podcast we really like called Big Time Whoopsies. We did, but that's I had fun on that one, and I'd like you guys to listen to that. So Listen to the Big Time Whoopsie and and the Filmographers. And you know what? Here's something I've always wanted to to try out. So we're a, a independent podcast network. We pretty much do stuff on our own all self-funded all word of word of mouth yep (laughs) we are also looking to expand our network so if you have uh the sustainability to record your own shows and stuff send us a pitch
0: absolutely you can email us at majorcasts at gmail.com media majors
1: podcast at gmail.com or majorcasts at gmail.com there are two okay either or just get in contact with us. There's, like, 30,000 ways to get in contact with us. Yeah,
0: DM us on Twitter, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Follow us at MediaMajorsCast on Twitter. And I should
1: say, if this is, like, an idea you have for a show that you can't produce, you got to be able to make it. Yeah, <laughs> Because we do a lot of stuff that we're going to... do. not have time to record this shit for people.
0: Leave us a rating and review on iTunes if you enjoy the show.
1: All right, close it out first time. I'm all the way back here.
0: Alright, as always, everybody, thank you for listening to another episode of Media Majors. Come back next week, and remember, we'll be there for you. Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major.